Kia ora and welcome back to OBS and Guidelines. Today we're going to be talking about genetic carrier screening, which is COBS 63, first endorsed in March 2019 and is current as of March 2019. There's a fairly decent plain language summary at the start, which I won't go into detail, and there's also a patient information leaflet that is RANSCOG endorsed on the RANSCOG website, which uh, is valuable information if you're starting to talk to women about genetic carrier screening. The first recommendation is a consensus-based recommendation, and it states that all couples intending to have children or who are pregnant should have a family history taken with a view to identifying relatives with heritable genetic disorders as well as the presence of consanguinity. Those identified with a family history of a specific inherited disorder should be offered referral to a genetic counselling service for information about carrier screening and prenatal diagnosis or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis for this condition. Yeah, so this recommendation can be summarised as the family history uh, question. Anybody who actually has a family history of genetic conditions or consanguinity, which is a, probably not a routine question for us, but it's suggesting that we should try to find out, uh, should basically be referred for genetic um, counselling, which would may involve genetic carrier screening, uh, but this is as opposed to a recommendation later on, which is just bringing up the fact that carrier screening exists for uh, couples who don't actually have any history of this, as they may just be carriers. Recommendation two is about who should be offered screening, and essentially all pregnant women should be offered basic screening for thalassemia carrier status by a full blood examination at their initial presentation. Screening with specific assays can be um, considered in high probability ethnic or population groups, for example, women from Southeast Asia. Yeah, so I think any kind of haemoglobinopathy screen uh, is the appropriate next step to anybody for which there is a suspicion or a high chance. Um, and then like a full kind of DNA-based uh, testing uh, would be the next step if you had a positive um, with your thalassemia screen. And I guess the timing for all screening optimal is pre-pregnancy. Mm. If you can, because then you can offer uh, management options and pre prenatal reproductive options. So recommendation three is that information on carrier screening for other genetic conditions should be offered to, again to all women planning a pregnancy or in the first trimester of pregnancy. Options for carrier screening include a panel for a limited selection of the most frequent conditions, so those uh, namely in New Zealand and Australia are cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy and fragile X syndrome, or there's the option of screening with an expanded panel that contains many disorders. So, so far, the recommendations have been for all women pre-pregnancy or in early pregnancy, if that's the first time you get to see them. And these conditions uh, have been chosen, I guess, uh, because the uh, carrier status is reasonably or relatively high in women or, or couples in New Zealand and Australia. So depending on where you look, the carrier uh, proportion for people with cystic fibrosis is between 1 in 25 and 1 in 35. Now this is an autosomal recessive condition, so if both partners are carriers, then their child has a one in four chance of being affected. Yeah, and it's the most common genetic condition to be passed on. 
one in 5,000 pregnancies affected. Hmm. So I had a quick look into how uh, or what, what the options are in New Zealand for this, these tests. Uh, they are all user pays. There is no funded option. Um, that is not the case if this is not a screening tool. So if there is a known family history of the condition, then a referral to genetic services should be made and that will be publicly funded. And then any testing from that point will also be publicly um, publicly funded. But as a screening tool for someone who is not deemed to be at an increased risk from the background population, it is not funded. They are all overseas tests. So one, there is one screen called Prepare. This goes to Melbourne. There are options for a swab or a blood test, but there are no blood test collection sites in New Zealand. So as far as I can tell, it's only the swab option. And this goes to Melbourne, and it only tests for cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy, and fragile X. There are other options through Prepare to uh, screen for up to 250 conditions, but this is through another uh, screening provider, and it goes to the United States. Yeah, so presumably these ones take a bit of time. The Prepare, I think they claim to say the results are within 10 days, um, because it probably takes a little while for your swab to travel to Australia. Um, so I imagine this would be time that's ticking by quite quickly if you're actually in the first trimester um, and these discussions have been had often well beyond kind of six weeks. Mm. But at least you'd be able to get those results fairly quickly. Um, but I, don't know, I personally don't have any experience with ordering these tests and the turnaround for the extended panel. There are two other options. Um, one is a Horizon Carrier screen through natera.com, which starts from $770. And the other is Invitae, um, also through the United States. And that looks like it's 250 US dollars with a discounted $100 partner pay option. So to have both um, both partners tested. Uh, and that, so like I said, US dollars and it doesn't include shipping. So user has to pay for shipping as well. Um, all of these tests require a test request form, which I believe can be done by a GP uh, or a more often a fertility specialist. In terms of differences of those tests, the Horizon test from Natera, that's an extended one, right? So that's 274 conditions? Yeah, that's right. So you get a lot of, I guess most of those will be obviously extremely rare. So you pay a bit more, but I guess you cover a lot more conditions. The I think the, the standard recommendation is to at least offer the the three common ones, the cystic fibrosis, spinal muscular atrophy, and fragile X. Um, because it does also includes yeah, making people aware that these extended panels exist, which are not as much more money as you might expect, but it also I guess starts to add up. Hmm. Um the Invite one, do you know what that one covers? The Invite one is variable. So what they say on the website is with Invitae's carrier screen, you can select a curated panel or customize your own for each patient or for the same price. So I imagine that's a tick box exercise. I haven't been beyond this page. All right. I've got a note saying that the detection rates for cystic fibrosis are 90% for SMA, 95%, and more than 99% for Fragile X. So as with all screening tests, they're not perfect. and Part of the counselling process is letting patients know that this isn't going to uh, completely exclude these conditions. Um, I 
can just speak a little bit about these three common conditions. So cystic fibrosis, the most common, autosomal recessive affects one in 5,000, one in approximately one in 35 are carriers. Uh, it's the most common autosomal recessive condition. It's caused by a mutation in the CFTR gene. Uh, it causes a deficiency in chloride transport channels, which produces thick, salty mucus. The children are affected by poor growth, recurrent chest infections, digestive problems, and generally a shortened lifespan. Um, currently, I think, can live uh, into the 60s, perhaps 70s, with excellent care, uh, but not everybody uh, can actually achieve that, and so it can significantly shorten uh, life, as well as obviously impact on how you live your life. Uh, males are often infertile because of a congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. Um, treatment is with pancreatic enzyme replacement, physiotherapy, antibiotics, and sometimes lung transplant. And prenatal diagnosis can be done by CVS or amnio. As and there's the the possibility of doing cell free DNA, but I'm not sure if this is available uh, in New Zealand yet. Uh, and also, in terms of uh, pre prenatal diagnosis, there are known mutations. Uh, that can confirm the condition, but there are also unknown mutations. So even with you do the genetic testing, you can't ex you can't confirm that a child will not be affected by cystic fibrosis, um, which is probably why that detection rate that I mentioned earlier before of ninety percent that will refer to carriers of mutations that are known. There are clearly affected individuals for which a gene hasn't been identified. Spinal muscular atrophy, also autosomal recessive, it affects 1 in 10,000, 1 in 50 are carriers. It's caused by a mutation to the SMN1 gene, um, while the number of copies of the SMN2 gene determines severity. Um, it's a genetic motor neuron disorder that causes atrophy of skeletal muscles. It affects proximal muscles the most. Uh, causing hypertonia and inability to control head movements or sit unassisted. Spinal muscular atrophy uh, has five different types. Type 0 is the most severe. These babies have reduced fetal movements or uh, no movement. They're born with contractures. They die in infancy, but it's very rare, so it's not tested for in the screening. Type 1 is what is tested for. This affects uh, more than half of cases. Uh, it has a severe phenotype with hypertonia, and these children usually die in early childhood from respiratory failure. Uh, type 2, uh, the onset of uh, the, the phenotype is at 6 to 12 months. These children usually need a wheelchair and often die in their 20s or 30s. It is the next most common after type 1, but is not tested for with these screening tests. Uh, type 3 has onset later, um, early in childhood. Uh, these children can walk unaided, uh, but may develop dependency later in life. They have a normal lifespan and is the next most common. Uh, and then the type 4 is the least severe phenotype, onset in adulthood, normal lifespan, but is rare. And then fragile X syndrome. This is the most commonly common uh, X-link disorder. It's X-link dominant. Uh, it affects 1 in 7,000 males. Uh, it can affect females, but is usually a... Uh, less severe phenotype uh, carriers is 1 in 332 it's caused by increased GG, CGG repeats in the FMR1 gene which causes a deficiency in the FMRP protein uh, and causes nervous system disruption uh, causes a range of developmental problems including learning disability cognitive impairment 
Uh, one third may have autism, uh, and 15% of males may have seizures. 5% uh, of females may have seizures. These children may have long, narrow faces, large ears, a prominent jaw and forehead, um, and unusually flexible fingers. The female phenotype requires two affected parents. Uh, therefore, do you only test the male if the female is a carrier? So recommendation four. This refers to um, individuals of Eastern European Jewish descent, so Ashkenazi Jews. Um, they should be offered additional screening specifically for conditions uh, common in this group, which are Tay-Sachs disease, Newman-Pick disease type A, Fanconi anemia group C, familial dysautonomia, Bloom syndrome, Canavan disease, and mucolipidosis type 4. So that should always be a, a question at booking or prenatal counselling. Yeah, so I guess for a gold standard consultation, you'd somehow ask if the couple, uh, how well, how closely related they are to screen for consanguinity, um, and in asking their ethnicity, um, that would presumably lead you down the path of their potential Eastern European Jewish descent. Mm. Yeah, I do, it feels like it has to be a separate tick box. I know that it's not on MCIS. <laughs> You know, much like well, Jehovah's asking yeah. about Jehovah's Witness. Oh, okay. So there's, there, there's also, a booking checklist. No, there's, there's not, no. as far as I can see. Oh. Um, but there is one for consanguinity. Yeah. Checklist. Yeah. So I know that in MFM consultations, this is a routine question. You see that in their clinic letters. But mm. at that stage, they're often referred because there's already a known condition. Anomaly or something. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, it does feel like an odd question to bring up. Um, but... Again, I guess if you don't ask, you won't know. Mm. But if presumably when you bring up the question of genetic carrier screening, you would say, look, there is a cheaper test for the most common ones, um, and then there's an extended test. The extended test is probably for conditions that are extremely unlikely. However, those with an Eastern European Jewish descent would be at increased risk, and that might be a group um, more likely to have those, as would couples who are closely related. Mm. So you, rather than actually asking it as a question, you can actually kind of say that as a statement of fact. And invite. And that, that kind of brings, <laughs> brings those things up. So mm. maybe that would be a strategy towards how you do that. Mm. Um, and just of note, with the expanded carrier screening, um, there has been a reasonable amount of, of research done into this and from a study of over 30,000 people um, looking at next-generation sequencing of over 100 genes, one in 3.4 people were a carrier of at least, one, at least one condition. So it really, if we're looking at doing expanded panel, it should be in the context of uh, some genetic counselling about what the results mean effectively. Um, up to 24% of adults will be found to be a carrier of at least one recessive disorder. Right. Yeah, what so, do you do with so, that information? What impact does it have on your health insurance? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Hopefully, not too much. Hopefully, not. But yeah, no, those are very good considerations, aren't they? So, if you do the extended screening panel, you've got a one in, or so you've got a twenty-four percent chance of actually picking something up, which then leads on to the next point, which is talking about parallel and uh, uh, sequential screening. So, if you that that refers to doing tests for both partners at the same time so that you get those results at the same time um, versus screening usually the woman only to see if anything uh, screens positive and then leading on to screening the partner 
to then work out the risk for that couple. Now, if you screen, do the extended screening panel and have a 24% chance of picking something up, that's probably going to default you to then needing to screen the partner, so one in mm. four times, and the associated anxiety um, during that time, as well as delay to pregnancy if they're not already pregnant. So if you were going to do the extended screening panel, you'd have more of a rationale for doing both tests at the same time, so the doing parallel screening. Um, whereas perhaps if you were just going to do the three tests, then sequential screening might be a bit more um, appropriate or at least more cost-effective. More time-effective for the two. Yeah, you're always going to – so more time-effective is to do parallel. Yeah, simply right. with yeah. 250 conditions. Yeah, yeah. And more cost-effective to do. But more cost-effective is to do – is if you screen the woman and she's negative, you don't need you're to good. screen the man. That's right. Right? So – <laughs> that makes it more that's more cost effective so. i mean they both have pros and cons yes right so your sequential screening means that you know who's the carrier of what condition because when you have couple screening the couple gets a result so a couple will get a higher or low chance of having whatever condition it is mm. or of having a child with whatever condition it is sorry and we don't necessarily know well, the couple doesn't necessarily get told who you know, who carries what gene. Mm. Um, oh, well, yeah, we talk. So are you sure? <laughs> we don't know, do we? If you do parallel testing, do you not just get a – presumably they produce a report from each person. It's not like they mix the, the samples together. You're still going to get a result from each person to know who's the carrier. Correct, but the yeah. couple may not know that. So those provided with a low probability result may or may not be informed of the individual results of carrier testing, uh. right? So – the couple has a low probability yeah. of having a child with cystic fibrosis or spinal muscular atrophy, but the man may be a carrier for spinal muscular atrophy and the woman may be a carrier for cystic fibrosis. Right. Right. So they, and they wouldn't necessarily know that. And what's well, the, they might. Do, you think, do you think the rationale for that is like your insurance mentioned? So you can produce a result that says, look, you don't need to worry. We're not going to go into any more detail because it will only add potential anxiety and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or alternatively, you'd say, well, this information is known, so presumably you can get it if you ask for it. A bit like how NIPT will always work out the uh, sex of the fetus, but mm. it's an option as to whether or not that result is given to the mm. couple. Yeah. Right. Um, and I guess fewer couples will require genetic counselling. So if mm. you as an individual are a carrier for... Uh, cystic fibrosis there's a bit of genetic counseling that needs to come along with that result yeah. but if as a couple it's a low probability result then no genetic counseling is necessary yes. right yeah yeah so for sequential the main the advantage really is reduced cost there's also another small benefit that if you do sequential and somebody tests positive for one condition but nothing else you only got then need to do a test for that one condition in the partner you don't need to go do the full extended screening for the partner so you can again a slight cost benefit there but that's about those are really the only advantages that's the significant disadvantage is that if you get a positive result and you disclose that to the couple um, then they're going to be potentially worried about that until they get the result showing that the partner is negative mm. right. so parallel is otherwise better in most ways it's just more expensive and it would require 
doing the complete set of screening um, for both couples. So you're going to do an extended carrier screen potentially for both. Um, and each of them has a one in four chance of being positive for one of those things. Yeah. And then the result is as a couple. So if that couple breaks up, then, and they each form a mm. new couple, then that yeah. couple will also need to be tested. Yeah. Whereas if you I know still, your own individual <laughs> results, yeah. I think it's, I still feel like you must get your individual results. Well, it must be available. I don't... Surely, surely. I <laughs> yeah. completely agree. I've never seen the results, yeah, yeah. though. That's the problem. Yeah. And so is it, um, yeah, you know how we get the, we know the numbers for NSS1. Mm. Yeah. One in 302 is a low chance result. One in 299 is a high chance yeah. result. The women only get low or high chance. So there's only a difference of three there. And I, I wonder if it's the same with these results because they do, they have it in bold. Right. Those provided with a low probability result may or may not be informed of the individual results of carrier testing. Mm. Neither of us have actually seen what these results look like, but presumably it doesn't say you have a cystic fibrosis mutation or you do not. It probably just says you have a high risk or low risk of carrying. No, as, as a couple, so it might or even say as cystic... an individual. For cystic fibrosis, I guess if you've got a positive one, maybe it says extremely high risk, high risk or even you do. Yeah. But it's not going to say you do not carry a cystic fibrosis mutation no. because there's a 10% well, at least 10% of them are not, are not known mutations. Right. Yeah, so they're sure. never going to say no risk, are they? Correct. So presumably that's why they... Uh, it would be a couple's result. Mm. So this couple is at low risk of cystic fibrosis, low risk mm. of having a child with SMA, low risk of having a child with fragile X, or low risk SMA, low risk fragile X, high risk cystic fibrosis, which means that both either one of the couples has it, mm. Or both couples are carriers, both members are carriers, sorry. And then it probably also gives a result because if you carry one gene mutation and your couple or your partner carries a different gene mutation, I don't know if that, now if your child gets both of those, but they're not the matching mutations. Yeah. So your child is now (laughs) at higher risk if that child is now with another person (laughs) having a baby. Yeah. They're yeah. carrying plus plus. It's never as simple as just classical Mendelian genetics. So it probably is that for a lot of these, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. It might result relate um, have, be related to other genes. So you, you, that's probably it. It's a, it's not just a list you carry this or you don't. But mm-hmm. as a couple, this is your risk, and that's probably why the result is given like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, I guess the key thing with that is. As long as people know, it's not, oh, cool, I'm low risk. If It's not you as an individual, it's you as a couple. Yeah, yeah. so it says if you then go on to have another partner, you need to do it again. Correct. <laughs> Which makes it not cost-effective, but it was never cost-effective. The cost-effective was sequential anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Here's yeah. <laughs> another point on cost, though, of course, <laughs> is that if you prevent the birth of a child affected by a chronic disease, then that saves at least the health system potentially a lot of money yeah. over time. But yeah, he's a individual choices as always. Yeah. Well, anyway, we'd certainly love to hear from anybody who's actually <laughs> seen one of these reports um, and could clarify that, and we could um, talk about that in a future episode. Mm. Moving on to recommendation five um, women wanting more information about carrier screening should be given the opportunity to have a more detailed discussion about carrier screening with an informed clinician. Informed consent for screening should be obtained. And this should include any out-of-pocket expenses that are required for this testing. Um, so essentially, written informed consent should be gained. In New Zealand, it is all out-of-pocket unless you are particularly at high risk of a particular condition. And at that point, you would have been referred to genetic counselling and then they will organise 
from there, whatever is necessary. Yeah, I read this recommendation as saying that if you've gone beyond your expertise, offer to refer to somebody who talks about this for a living. Yeah. You mentioned written informed consent. It only says informed consent. I don't think you need written informed consent. Mm, says written. Where? Scroll down. <laughs> Why would you need written informed consent to refer somebody? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> written informed consent. To have screen, oh, to have screening. Sorry, not to be yeah. referred. Okay. Oh, not to be referred. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Sorry. And then recommendation six, laboratories should only report carrier status for class four and five mutations. Variants of unknown significance should not be reported. So essentially, we don't need to terrify people and we can only, we should only be saying the carrier status for things that we know are going to cause disease. Yes. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Which you don't, is fair you don't need to say that you've got a funny chromosome or a, <laughs> a, fu a funny gene and we don't know what it does. Yeah. That's what makes us unique. Mm. Oh, and it actually means, it mentions what these things are. So class four, likely pathogenic. Class five, pathogenic. So presumably class one, two, and three are more in the unknowns or have some association, yeah. but are not actually confirmed. Recommendation seven. Do you want to read this one out? This this not particularly. Crazy sentence. That's right. So there's a not very well proofread sentence. So all couples <laughs> found to have a high probability of having a child with one of the conditions screened for should be referred for genetic counselling, to be informed of available reproductive options, and to assist with prenatal testing if the woman in the couple found to have a high chance is pregnant when the result becomes known. And you've done the grace of adding punctuation to which there is no <laughs> punctuation in the sentence whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially it's divided into two parts. The first one being if they're found to have a high probability of having a child with one of the conditions, they should be referred for genetic counselling preconception. So we can talk about available reproductive options. And then the second part is if the couple is found to have a high chance and they are already pregnant when the result is known. So if the testing is done um, and they fall pregnant, or if the testing is done in the first trimester, then different testing options, so diagnostic um, options such as amniocentesis or CVS. So um, just briefly to go over the reproductive options, um, if both, both members of a couple are found to be carriers of the autosomal recessive condition, or if the woman is a carrier of an X-linked recessive condition and therefore they have a one in four chance of each pregnancy being affected, the options include, there's six of them, one, having a child naturally and testing the child after it is born to see if it is affected, two, conceiving naturally and having diagnostic testing during pregnancy to determine if the fetus is affected. So this is usually with an invasive test like amnio or CVS. Three, having IVF and testing the embryos through pre-implantation genetic diagnosis and then only selecting unaffected embryos to be re-implanted for pregnancy. Four, using donor egg, sperm or embryo from unaffected individuals. Five, adoption. Six, having other ways of having children in your life. Which must also include not having children at all. Yeah. Although I would imagine if they're going through the trouble of having genetic testing, presumably there's some thought about having children. As with any procedure, if you um, give enough information, you may talk somebody out of it. Yeah, <laughs> completely. <that's true. laughs> so the good practice point 
at the end. Yeah. Um, so this one says that it may be appropriate to refer couples with a high chance of having a child with a genetic condition to see a clinician with the relevant clinical expertise. So translated to like an example, that's saying that if the couple is found to be at high risk of having a child with cystic fibrosis, then refer them to a uh, pediatric respiratory physician who actually sees these children and couples affected and you know, would be the best person to actually say what that life might be like. Now, obviously, um, the earlier the screening is done, so if it's preconception or an early first, well, at preconception, there are more options than if the screening is done in first trimester. So if you're seeing couples of reproductive age or if someone's wanting to have their marina removed or whatever, it's a good time to have a discussion and provide written information so that people can make a fully informed choice with adequate time. Now, there is a small note here about the costs of screening and equity of access. So obviously we have rattled off some numbers earlier. It is all user pays. And so um, this can be a substantial barrier for many couples and definitely widens the gap. You know, you can either afford to pay uh, for screening antenatally and then make decisions based on the result or not. And if it, the answer is not, then there's a potentially higher chance of having a child that's affected and all the costs and burdens that come along with that. And I have to say, having never been in this situation, I suspect the decision not to have a child um, or to re-implant an embryo or to implant an embryo that is not affected is an easier decision than to terminate a pregnancy purely based mm. on screening and, and diagnostic testing. Yeah, it is mentioned as as kind of one of the approaches to how to do this. So, so when you'd mentioned your kind of six pathways you can go down, mm. I mean, one option is to is to become pregnant and then do genetic testing um, mm. and make decisions based on that, which um, I guess is it depends on your outlook on things, um, but it's potentially a more uh, cost-effective way to go. Um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm thinking of like, how could this be the most expensive and drawn out? One would be to do screening, find that you are at risk. For instance, you know, you have a one in four chance of having a, an affected child of one of these autosomal recessive conditions. To then say to a couple who potentially have uh, you know, a good chance of spontaneous pregnancy to then go down IVF for the purpose of having pre-implantation uh, testing which itself is not a perfect science um, no. going through all, all of IVF potentially all self-funded along with delaying your pregnancy while you I guess arrange all of that um, you know could potentially go down and but then again we'll solve that having no guarantee of having a child that is not affected by any disorder or yeah, possibility you might just not have cystic <laughs> yeah. fibrosis exactly yeah yeah so it's mm. it's a lot of information to process and hence why i think a lot of this guideline talks about the, the importance of genetic counseling mm, which is not my specialty yeah all right so that's our wrap up of this guideline it comes down to really just a few clinical points uh which are to offer information about this try to identify patients potentially affected by thalassemia, uh, try to identify couples at risk of consanguinity or Eastern European Jewish descent, 
genetic counseling, genetic counseling, genetic counseling, <laughs> uh, provide as much information as possible, including written re- um, resources and referral to both genetic counselors, uh, MFM, and also uh, practitioners who care for uh, patients with, with, these, conditions. Yeah, with yeah. these conditions. Uh, know the limitations of the tests. Consider you know, the impacts of testing um, costs and anxiety, especially. But it should be offered. But it should be offered, yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. See you next time.